Welcome, I'm Andra, and this is the How Do You Know podcast. In this show, we'll learn how to make better decisions and open up our view to everything that's possible. I interview great decision makers to discover how they built and improved their process along the years. I really hope you'll find it useful. Let's dig in. Hi, Josh. Welcome to the How Do You Know podcast. Super, super excited to have you on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. As I was saying uh, before we were chatting there, I'm kind of excited and a little bit nervous about this because I know you don't follow the uh, the typical script on this show. So I'm excited to see where this one goes. Thank you. Basically, there is no script because this is actually a great piece of advice that Louis Grenier gave me uh, when he gave me kind of feedback. He was one of the people who inspired me to do a podcast. Uh, and one key piece of advice that he gave me is that, you know, try to leave it unscripted. Just try to, you know, come up with the questions as you go along. And I think that that made a big, big difference in how I approach interviews in general. Um, mm-hmm. And the conversation just went on so much more naturally. So thanks, Louis. <laughs> if you're listening to this, if not, um, I hope you make time. <laughs> Yeah, I think I actually need to reconnect with him because I was supposed to be on that show as well. But then some things came up. So, hey, Louis. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I, I know that, you know, keeping this this consistency of shipping one episode per week, that's quite the challenge. And he's had like everyone, uh, you know, super valuable guests uh, on the show. So many of them over 100 episodes. I think that is a huge, huge achievement. <laughs> mm-hmm. I agree. Um, so like we mentioned, we're not going to discuss that many marketing aspects, um, of your, of your life so far, but I'm sure that, you know, naturally it'll squeeze in. I'm very curious, you know, um, where you are right now in terms of, um, let's say your role and the, the most, what gets you excited the most at this point in your life? Yeah, so I'm at an interesting point now in that, uh, you know, I've, I've worked with some really amazing clients so far. So, you know, the hub spots and the, and the hot jars and, and whatnot. And while I look forward to working with more clients like that, I'm, I'm starting to get more and more excited about some of these companies that we don't necessarily hear about every day because they don't have amazing marketing, but their product and uh, their, their team, their ability to deliver is 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 amazing. Like they, without marketing, they're building amazing companies. And so I'm getting to this point now where I'm, I'm chasing the big logos less and I'm looking for more and more opportunities where I can have a huge impact on a, on a company that's doing everything but marketing right. So that's where I would explain, that's how I would explain where I'm at right now. Um, and, and we're getting there. I'm definitely starting to get some more of those clients trickling in, um, but they seem to be fewer and, and far between. Hmm. I, I know what you mean. And I think that there's this kind of unseen world in tech and beyond, basically in any field of people who are quietly doing incredible things and just doing the work, shipping things, making their customers happy. And when you find them, it's such not just a relief, it's just a trigger for so much excitement for you as a marketer, because knowing that you're promoting a service, a product that you truly believe in, that's already been validated by customers. I think that that's one of the best possible companies to work with because their values are definitely there and their mission and they're following through on it, um, which is something that we don't always see as things 
grow as things scale, um, some businesses tend to become less and less human. Um, and that's just something that's very visible and no amount of wonderful marketing can kind of salvage that. <laughs> I absolutely agree. And, and, uh, the attraction to the, to the big logos, um, it's natural obviously because it, it can show credibility, but they tend to have so much talent internally. And so like, I find my ability to have an impact, anybody's ability to have impact on their marketing, it's going to be very incremental because they're not doing a lot of things terribly wrong for the most part. Whereas when you have these companies that are shipping an amazing product, people are happily paying for it and yet they don't have marketing. There's a huge opportunity there. You can go in and do very small things that they're not doing. Like they might not be sending out any onboarding emails, which sounds insane, but there are some amazing companies out there that just aren't doing the basic things. And once you start putting those into play and you do that well, it's it's uh, it's off to the races for them. It's uh, it's a huge impact. It's it's exponential versus incremental. So yeah, that's that's what has me a little bit more excited uh, right now. And I. You know, being a freelancer, I think that having this freedom to choose your own clients, I think that this is uh, one of the decisions that kind of shapes uh, shapes your life. And just making the choice of working on your own with the risks that hopefully we'll explore and, of course, the rewards as well, um, mm -hmm. is a journey in itself. So I'm very curious, you know, how you started freelancing and um, how this entire process kind of, um, just started and developed for you, because there are so many stories and they're so, they have some similarities, but then again, they're incredibly different and some very often they're incredibly inspiring as well. Cause I think that it takes a good amount of courage to go out on your own, um, depending on, you know, how risk, uh, averse or how open to risk you are in general. Yeah. So I might disappoint here in that I'm quite risk averse. And actually, I think a lot of people who do quite well as a freelancer or consultant tend to be risk averse. Um, they really try to make sure they have everything lined up before they take the leap. And that's exactly what happened with me. So I was working full time at a B2B SaaS startup. I was uh, officially like head of marketing, but because we were like a team of six, I was also doing things with product and customer support and sales. I even hopped on some sales calls when I had to. Um, and it was there where I did some copywriting, but it was just a small part of my job. And I really liked that part. And I didn't know that it was like a, a full time career that people actually do this and they get paid quite well because it's it's super valuable when you get it right. Um, but in my search for, you know, how to write copy better, I found Joanna Weeb and she was having a competition on her website. It was something to do with about pages and I won. And the prize was a ticket to see her speak at MicroConf in Las Vegas. So yeah, I went to Las Vegas, obviously I met Joanna and I asked her what I should do next. And she said that I should get started immediately because if I don't, I'm just going to forget about this little moment in time and I'm going to get back to my job. And, and that's going to be that just like what happens with most people. But, uh, you know, being the risk averse person that I am, and I was like quite happily employed. I, uh, I did start a website. I think I started it the next day and it was swaycopy.com, which, which it is right now but it was not focused on starting a business or getting clients because I had a job. So I just started the website. It was focused on SaaS copywriting. I wrote a couple of blog posts, which were mediocre in my opinion, but they were like at least focused on 
on B2B SaaS, which right now doesn't sound unique, but at the time in 2015, there weren't a lot of people calling themselves uh, like SaaS copywriters, for example. Um, and from there, I started to get some inquiries. And this is where the risk averse part comes in. Some people, more courageous people, would have quit their job and just and just went for it. But I didn't do that. Instead, I used my job as leverage. Um, I didn't need I didn't need any client to say yes to me because I had a salary. And so I was able to name a price that I think a more courageous and less prepared freelancer or consultant wouldn't have been comfortable naming because the client might have said no. So I named a pretty good price right off the bat, uh, a price that a lot of people take years uh, to work up to. And I got some yeses. And it was once I got those yeses on a retainer that I quit my job. And um, I had both of those clients for my first year of business. I don't work with either of them now, which I think is good. It's totally healthy to outgrow your your clients. Um, but yeah, that's how I got started. It was very methodical. And the other thing that I did too was when I got started, um, I've always had a, a business mind. Even as like a teenager, I was always reading um, business books, uh, the classics, and some also some some terrible books too, like Rich Dad Poor Dad and, and stuff like that. But I was always uh, I was always into entrepreneurship. And, uh, and so I, I spotted an opportunity in the market, which was that most freelancers, especially in copywriting, do not choose and define a niche for themselves or a niche, depending on where you are in the world. And that's what I did from day one. I was a SaaS copywriter and that paid off in a number of different ways, which we can definitely talk about. Mm -hmm. Thanks for sharing that with us. Um, definitely this picking a niche niche <laughs> mm -hmm. is, uh, is one of those key pieces of advice that I also kind of learned it, throughout my transition to being a freelancer, especially listening to Paul Jarvis's and Callie Moore's creative class podcast. And it's something that mm -hmm. many thriving freelancers explain, although indeed, just like one of those, you know, best practices in the field, there are very few people who actually implemented, who actually follow this key piece of advice. And it's, it's that decision to focus that I think that keeps you thriving and that keeps you digging deeper and deeper into an industry and really understanding it. Because in my opinion, for example, to be a good specialist, uh, to be a good marketer, no matter, you know, the, the specialty or the, um, the activity that you choose to focus on, I think that to be a good marketer also entails really understanding your field and building those relationships. Because you can't really apply, especially nowadays, you can't really apply the same not only to mention that you can't apply the same tactics, but to have some measure of success, especially when you're writing content, when you're promoting content, you need those relationships. Mm -hmm. And no one's going to take you seriously unless you're really passionate and you show that you're passionate and that you understand the issues of the field, what people need from companies in the sector and so on and so forth. And I'm curious if you saw the same kind of um, approach or need uh, in how your customers choose you as a freelancer and in how you choose your customers as well. Absolutely. So it's, like I said, it by choosing that niche, it's made my life so much easier in, I mean, every capacity that's important to someone who's working on their own. So um, somebody comes to my website, if they're my client, they will immediately see themselves in my website. And in fact, a lot of people who find me 
they started by searching for something general, like we all do, whatever whatever it is we're looking for. We typically start with a general search, and then we see that we don't find exactly what we're looking for. And then we remember that Google is amazingly large, and we can get very specific, and we'll still find more than what we can handle. And so that's how people tend to find me. They look for a, a copywriter. They see a whole bunch of people that look the same. And then they realize, oh, I could probably search for someone who works with companies just like me. And then they find me when they when they search for that. And I mean, that's opened up. Um, I mean, it, it kind of sounds cliche, but it has opened up the world as a market. Nobody cares where I live because I'm the specialist for exactly what it is they need. Um, you know, I'm working with people in Australia and throughout Europe and North and South America. I think I've worked with somebody everywhere except for uh, maybe like Eastern Asia. I don't think I've worked with anyone there. Um, so yeah, it, it makes it really easy for companies to see themselves when they come to my website. And then when we get into the sales process, uh, it's much less of a case of me proving myself to them because by the time they reach out to me, they were pretty much decided that they want to work with me. I just need to not blow it. And I don't blow it because I know the language. I've worked with clients just like them. I've solved their problems dozens and dozens of times before I bring, you know, a wealth of, of knowledge that I've taken from, um, working with, with, uh, the companies that are just like them and companies that are, you know, like what they aspire to be one day. Um, so that gets easier. It gets easier to know where to hang out online, who to speak to online, because um, there's communities that that attract the types of people that I work with and that are, who are asking questions uh, that I can answer. And so it 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 just all gets easier. And I'm always amazed at how more people don't see this as the answer to so many of their problems uh, when they're when they're in business for themselves. Because what you'll see is there's a ton of pushback against this idea of specializing. And yet most of the people who are doing quite well are specialists. I know very few people who are generalists and started that way. I, I do believe that you can branch out over time. Um, and you can see that model take place uh, in, in large businesses all the time. Amazon sold books. Now they do everything. They wouldn't be able to have started um, doing everything from the very beginning. That would have been a catastrophe. And I believe it's the same for us. So right now I'm a SaaS copywriter and that is even starting to slowly change. Um, yeah. So if you're, if you're listening, if you're struggling and you haven't at least thought about uh, choosing a niche and specializing, uh, just just consider it. It might be it might be the thing that that uh, takes you out of your struggle. Mm. Thank you for that piece of advice. And while you were telling me this, I thought about um, your experience, let's say, as a research assistant and all that effort and time that you put into studying human psychology, because I think that that is a must have for basically anyone, no matter mm -hmm. our role, no matter our industry. Uh, because I think that understanding how we functions and just how the other people around us respond to certain stimuli, how they make well decisions, the thing that we're talking about now is essential to just helping us be better to each other and help each other more achieve our own personal and also common goals. So I'm very mm -hmm. curious what kind of expertise you drew from your time as a research assistant at the university and how you're tapping into this area uh, constantly to improve not just your work, but your life in general. Yeah, so in general, the one thing that I definitely learned is there's a difference between 
university research and what somebody who has never done research in a, in a university setting considers to be research. And so I have great respect for statistics, for example. Um, sometimes, you know, I'll run into marketers often just because of the nature of what I do. It's internal marketers and they don't have that statistics background. And so they're doing things like running A-B tests with little traffic and calling the test far too soon because they don't actually understand that um, even if the result looks promising, if you don't have that st that statistical um, background and, and significance, then it, it doesn't actually matter what, what you're finding. It's, it's irrelevant. It's not valid. Um, so I definitely took that rigor from there. The other thing is that um, I think a lot of marketers learn everything they know from, how can I say this? Uh, I guess there's there's primary research, um, which most people don't even think about or aren't comfortable reading. And then there is the books, the marketing books that we read, which is, I guess you could say regurgitated and dumbed down versions of what you'll find in the academic literature. And so I spent a lot of my undergrad years reading that academic literature and getting comfortable with it. And while I don't do it as much as I would like to now, it is something that's on my list to get back to, to start diving into those primary resources again and um, pulling some of my insights from there. It's something that is lost on a lot of a lot of people in marketing is uh, really understanding where all of this information, where all of these tips and hacks and and tricks are actually coming from. Um, so that that definitely helped big time. The other thing is I'm, I'm just not scared of numbers uh, the way a lot of, uh, I mean, it's starting to change now. More and more marketers are getting comfortable with it, but especially when I started, um, a lot of a lot of marketers were uncomfortable with numbers and statistics, and I'm not. I had to do a lot of that. Mm -hmm. And that's a huge competitive advantage, especially because you were way ahead of this, well, data-driven, let's say, trend <laughs> that's mm -hmm. now becoming yeah. a reality in the industry. And that, I think, brings a lot of objectivity to discussions because historically, marketing in general, any aspect that has to do with communication, be it branding or PR or and so on and so forth, has had a lot to do with assumptions um, that sometimes worked and sometimes failed miserably. Well, most of the time failed miserably. Um, so I think that we're now getting into a stage where as communication professionals, we're becoming a bit more self-aware, let's say, um, in, in this role. Um, and also having, you know, the tools and the context to track our work differently. And to, I think that, you know, speaking to the psychology, the human psychology in general, I think that cognitive biases can be very powerful challenges for us to overcome. And if you're not aware of them, if you have never read about them and just don't realize they exist, you just continue to just pick out whatever information you want so you can support your own arguments and, you know, mm -hmm. launch into these huge campaigns with millions of dollars and see them wasted at the end of the day and wonder what happened because the numbers were right. Well, you chose the, the numbers to make it right. <laughs> they weren't That's necessarily, right. yeah. Have you seen True. this happen? And how do you how do you switch someone from this sort of mentality to one that um, is a bit more difficult to to digest? <laughs> Yeah, so I'm fortunate in that um, usually when companies reach out to me, they are aware of some deficiencies with their internal team or they don't have that internal team. And so I'm not usually changing minds, um, if that makes sense. And I'm 
I don't do any coaching necessarily at this point where I'm trying to change the minds of whether they're freelancers or consultants or, or internal marketing teams. But, uh, I guess one of the easiest things you can do, um, because I don't think it's, I don't think it's very productive to try to take somebody through like statistics 101. It's, it's easy to actually to just point them towards a, cal- a calculator. There's tons of calculators out there. I don't know why more people don't use them. Uh, like VWO has one, for example, where you can type in like your current conversion rate, your, um, desired lift, your sample size, et cetera. And then you can see how long you would have to run your test for to get a, a, a statistically significant result. And, and for some people, you know, it can be, you know, they'll, they'll type their numbers in thinking or for a test that they were about to run, they'll type their numbers in and then realize, wow, we would have to run this test for 456 days in order for it to be <laughs> statistically significant. So really it's just, if, if you, if you can't spend the time to, you know, go through statistics and take all the courses and all that, just understand that there's such a thing as statistical significance and there are ways to calculate it. And if the results you're getting look good or bad and they're not statistically significant, you cannot um, rely on them. It's, it could just be an anomaly. If you have, you know, 50 people coming to your website and 10 convert, that doesn't necessarily mean that you have an amazing offer or an amazing page. It could be an anomaly. And if you were to let that run until it was statistically significant, in this case, that might be hundreds or thousands of days, um, you would see that it would all even out and then you would see what you actually have. Um, so that would be, that would be like my one-on-one advice for somebody who's, uh, who wants to sort of wrap around, the, wrap their heads around this whole idea of, of statistics and, and significance and, and bringing that into your practice. Mm. You definitely have a very well ironed out and very well structured process to help your customers, you know, get the best of their resources and make the most of their investment um, in working with you and in everything else they invest in. How do you, how does your process looks like, look like when it comes to you, when applied to how you evaluate your own business, the business that you built um, and how you plan your, uh, you know, your kind of future steps. I'm very curious because I think that this is a very difficult topic generally, especially when you're working alone, because you have to do this for yourself and try to be objective with yourself while using mm-hmm. resources and talking to people and so on and so forth. But ultimately, it's you that has to kind of um, just put yourself in the sh- in in a boss's shoes, your own boss's shoes, and and be your own boss like that. So I'm very curious what your process looks like because I think that there are very interesting bits there that we could all learn from. Yeah. So I'm afraid. Well, hopefully this doesn't disappoint you, but it might disappoint you a little bit in that I've listened to some of your other guests and they have amazing ways of dealing with their day to day and plotting out like their next three six months. And I I honestly don't uh, do that. What I have is. Um, I guess you could say a commitment to continually learning, especially trying to learn things that I know other people who are in my space are afraid to learn or don't make the time to learn. And the other thing is that I have a general idea of a North Star where I would like to see myself be one day. And that's not a SaaS copywriter. That was my starting point. Um, And then in terms of the day to day, I could do a much better job of handling um, productivity and, and, and how I manage, you know, my three, six, one year 
goals and, and whatnot. Um, but I, but I really don't really, I'm feeling, I feel my way through it. I, I make sure I talk to my customers a lot. I look for needs and I'm always comparing that back against my current positioning and where I want to go. And if it fits in, then I, then I start to branch out and I, and I do that. And if it doesn't fit in, I, I cut it off, even if there's money there, um, because it just, it would take away from what I'm trying to do right now. And it doesn't lead me to where I want to be in the future. Um, so I don't know. I don't know if you have some uh, specific questions where you can sort of dig at the details there. But my my day to day is is quite fluid, and that's partly by design. I don't, you know, I don't try to have um, hundreds of people reaching out to me to work with me. I really, I, I really relish the idea of having few people reach out to me, but have them be very high quality and motivated to work with me and willing to pay um, in order to get the work done. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, I think that your approach is unique and I there's there's always something to learn from that because I think that we all have the structure side and we also have our intuition, something that we've built through experience and by accumulating um you know knowledge and, and insights about ourselves, about how we work and that's it's very difficult to pinpoint and I think that that's one of the fickle the, the challenges and Kind of mm -hmm. really articulating what we do as as you know marketers in this day and age, uh, like for example, when trying to explain it to parents. So I'm really glad you shared <laughs> your uh, your your uh, your process with us so so candidly and openly because I think there is no standard, and I think that from the outside, people who look at successful um, other successful people, no matter their role as either employees or leaders or freelancers, whatever it may be, you tend to think that everyone has it all figured out to, <laughs> to the dot, to, to the very last detail. And that's not often the case because we're engaged in a process of constantly and continually growing and evolving. And with so many things shifting around us, we have to sometimes shift with them and we have to constantly adapt. So I think that there lies kind of the true force and the true ability to build a life that you love generally that involves your career, your personal life, um, the hobbies and every other aspect that kind of make up our lives. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I think uh, a bit of a cheat code there, and it might be why I've been able to get away with not being the, the most efficient person is I'm really focused on delivering as much value as I can in as little time as possible to a very specific client and doing a really good job of communicating exactly what it is I'm delivering. And it's far more than the deliverable that someone reaches out for. And when you get really good at that, what you're able to do is you're able to charge a lot of money um, for work that a lot of other people would charge far less for because you're doing a better job. You're you're more or less an insurance policy as a proven specialist. It's they know they're going to get something good out of you. And you're just really good at communicating all of the, uh, I think I said this in a tweet the other day, actually, all the artifacts that you leave behind by by working with them. So, you know, like the, the customer surveys they'll be able to run in the interviews, et cetera, et cetera, and the processes. Um, and so when you get really good at that, I don't need to squeeze the most out of every eight hour day in order to do well. Um, I, I can work definitely less than eight hours in a day, or I can sit here for eight hours of which four are super productive and, and still do well. So I think that's, that's a, it's a bit of a, a bit of a cheat code. If you can, if you can get good at those two things. Mm -hmm. And even, you know, on top of your work, I think that customers have a lot to learn 
exactly from this approach of yours, because they might learn how to see a certain thing, how to talk about it. I found that there are many people who have this, I don't know, small breakthrough moment, smaller or bigger, when they learn how to talk about an issue, how to name the things that they've been thinking about, but have no, mm -hmm. not a specific vocabulary to talk about it. Um, and they learn how to approach them and suddenly more clarity ensues. And I think that clarity is such an, still an undervalued quality that kind of everyone is looking for in either positioning or how we do work or relationships at work, at home and so on, because mm -hmm. that sort of clarity gives you stability and it gives you confidence that you can um, you know build on top of that relationship or in that on top of that project uh, knowing that you're aligned and you have your expectations kind of um, very very well um, explained and that is something that um, this entire discussion around decision making kind of helps you Uh, deal with just mm -hmm. seeking that clarity that you need and everyone does it differently so I'm curious when you've had to make like big decisions you're clearly a, a very organized very structured uh, type of person when you have to do make big decisions in your life um, what is your kind of go-to solution do you talk to with anyone do you make a pros and cons list what what does your process kind of look like So are, are we talking about uh, business here, for example? Uh, it depends. If you have different processes, I'd love to hear about them both. <laughs> yeah. So again, this might, this might disappoint a little bit in that I try to avoid really big decisions because for me, if I'm, if, if I were to define my strategy for growth, it's, um, it's slowly branching out from my original starting position, which was very specific SAS copywriting. And so a big decision would be, you know what, let's scrap SAS copywriting and let's get into e-commerce because there's a lot of opportunity there. I would not make that decision because it just doesn't fit in with my strategy. What I would do is say, you know what, I've been a SAS copywriter up to this point and, uh, people come to me, they want a homepage and I would write a homepage, but I've worked with a lot of amazing companies now and I've, solved other problems once I've gotten in there. So now what I'm going to do is instead of just taking orders and saying, okay, I'll write your website, I'm going to make sure that everybody starts with an audit first um, to make sure that's actually the biggest problem. So in that way, I, I pretty much always avoid um, big decisions in, uh, in my business. I don't, I don't make big moves. I make a series of small moves because I'm thinking very long term. I'm thinking about um, if I were to keep making these small improvements, these small changes, if I keep learning this little thing on the side, study math, you know, a few hours a week or programming a few hours a week, if I'm doing all these things and I do that for 10 years, I'm going to be in a, in a really good spot and I will have never completely put my neck on the line because every little step was small and I could always just, you know, press undo and go back and no one would even notice. Um, so when it comes to business, this, the decisions are always small and very methodical. Um, I would, I would call them like little, little tiny hops versus, versus big leaps. Um, and then I guess in my, in my personal life, I'm, I'm married. So obviously really big decisions always have to run through, <laughs> run through my wife. Um, but I guess, I guess before that, again, it was, uh, it's always been very intuitive. I'm just a very curious person. Uh, there's nothing I enjoy more than, uh, sitting down and learning something new. And so I always just kind of followed 
whatever I found to be the most interesting, trusting that if I kept that curiosity up, if I kept learning and I kept studying, well, everyone else stopped because most people that I know, you know, once they hit like 25 and they've got a job, it's, they kind of, they kind of shut all that stuff off, the curiosity off and they just do their job. Um, I knew that if I kept all that alive, uh, you know, I'm, I'm just, I'm just going to keep finding myself in new and interesting places that I never could have imagined, which is true. I have, 10 years ago, I wouldn't have been able to put myself where I am right now. And so I have no idea where I'm going to be 10 years from now. I just trust that if I keep learning, keep studying, keep practicing, uh, keep that open mind, stay curious, uh, it's going to be an interesting place. I couldn't have defined better growth mindset than you just did right now. I think that even Carol Dweck, the, the author of Mindset, that kind of wrote about this growth mindset would make you an example in her book because... What you just told us, I think, is such a great strategy for kind of mitigating risk if you're if you're a risk averse person, and that's perfectly fine because we all have uh, various degrees um, to which we need certainty in our lives, uh, mm -hmm. and that's one of kind of the core human needs that uh, pushes us to make a choice or another. So the way that you you told me that you do these tiny hops versus big leaps, I think that. This is very different from what we usually read about. We usually read about everything that's spectacular and high growth <laughs> and exhilarating and uh, just the, the big, <laughs> big things. And this kind of new movement that's starting to, to appear that I talked about with Paul Jarvis as well, the, the kind of strategy of thinking smaller and smaller steps, but something that really aligns with your personal values and that done incrementally because you're basically talking about making self-education and personal development as much as this not associated with that stereotype you're making them right. a habit and building and breaking habits i think is one of the most powerful tools and levers that we have to make our lives better or obviously worse if we don't realize that there are things that are hurting us um, so I'm really curious if you've read, you know, specifically about making and breaking habits and modifying habits, um, and if you have any recommendations, because you seem to practice this so well, things that I've been reading about you, you just practice them so, so well. Uh, yes and no. So this is actually happening at a really interesting time because today is, I'm sorry to date the podcast, but August 1st. And so I made a pledge to myself today that, uh, for the month of August anyways, I'm going to only check social media on Tuesdays and Thursdays, and I'm not going to watch TV unless it's something scheduled. Like my wife and I have a show or two that we like to watch uh, once a week. And so um, those are two things that actually consume far too much of my time right now. Uh, I'm definitely uh, one of those people, and I, and I hate to admit it, that gets that little dopamine rush from you know, a notification on Twitter and on Facebook and on LinkedIn and people saying nice things and tagging me in posts and whatnot. And, uh, I think it's had a definite impact, a negative impact on my, um, on my mental health. Uh, because when I, when I actually look back, I was a very late adopter to things like smartphones. For example, I didn't have my first smartphone until it was probably 2014. And so I was watching a lot of people and they all looked like zombies to me, uh, the way they were walking around and always looking at their phones. And, and I would always get angry when people would check their phone when I was with them, but slowly and surely the way, you know, social media and notifications are designed to do, it took hold of me as well. Um, 
And so I'm in this, I'm in this spot right now where I'm actually trying to break that habit and get away from it because I mean, maybe there's other people where this isn't the case, but I did an audit of taking a look at my notifications and none of them were urgent. There were things I could have followed up on in three or four days and it would have been fine. Most of the likes and the things, they don't actually matter to me in my day-to-day life. Um, so yeah, I'm not, I'm not perfect when it comes to, to those types of things. I have those vices just like anybody else. Um, and I recognize it and I'm going to try to change that. Uh, other than that, you know, I haven't, I haven't read too much about forming habits. Most of the habits that I have are effortless, just the negative ones and the positive ones. So it was quite effortless to become addicted to social media like everybody else seems to be. Um, but it's also very effortless for me to, uh, find time to read every day and to study every day because it's something that I truly love. And if I could figure out a way to turn that just reading and studying into money, that would be amazing. I haven't. So <laughs> I, sp- I just spend a great deal of my free time doing those things. And I'm hoping that uh, this experiment that I'm running for uh, the month of August, that, I, that I'm able to find more and more time to do those types of things and to just do um, other things that I don't find enough time for, like connecting with friends and, and family and whatnot. Hmm. Thanks so, so much for sharing this with us. I think that these kind of experiments really teach us a lot about ourselves and about the things we've gotten accustomed to that we may not necessarily uh, should have gotten accustomed to. And social media is one of the those biggest things. Um, one of my previous guests and one of my very close friends, Christina, um, she's been studying these things for a, a long time. And with her help, I realized that some of the things that you realized on your own, I realized that I was spending too much time on things that weren't that valuable uh, that maybe made sense at one point when we were starting out and, you know, forming connections and getting to know people, but mm-hmm. then they become just, they became toxic. They chipped away at our attention. Uh, they just become these black holes uh, for our time and energy. And once you step back, for example, I quit Facebook last year on September 1st, um, didn't really feel like I needed it anymore and just quit cold turkey. And it, it, it's been one of the best decisions that I've made. I know that I'm missing out on some things, but overall in the big picture, um, it, it was a good decision. And I hope your experiment, um, gives you the results that you, you need to, you know, keep that streak going or mm-hmm. just do whatever works for you. Because yes, watching less TV, I think that that's something that we can all get behind on. And, you know, no matter how much we respect Netflix for the great content that they're putting <laughs> out and Amazon and whatnot, I think that it, it it's time we slow down <laughs> the, the Netflix and chill thing because, it just takes up so much more time. And at the end of the day, it's not the same type of reward that you get from reading a book. It's not the same type of, it doesn't trigger introspection like a good book does, for example. Mm-hmm. And it's certainly never a replacement for conversations with friends, with going out, with meeting face-to-face or just having virtual coffee. Um, it's just, it's a completely different type of interaction. So I agree. If you've cut off those rewards from your life, um, where do you get um, kind of how how have you replaced them in any way? Or um, are you just trying to see if you can go on without that type of reward at all? 
Yeah, so I'm just starting right now. And what I fully expect to happen is that I will revert back, if this is successful, to something in between where I'm at right now and where I'll be during this month of experimentation. For example, I was vegetarian for a year and I'm not vegetarian now, but I definitely eat far more fruits and vegetables than I did uh, beforehand. And so it was still a, a useful experiment. And so I expect that to be the case here. I'm sure I won't always just watch one hour of TV a week, but I probably won't watch as much as I do now, which I mean, in comparison to a lot of people I know is still not, not a lot, but it's still too much in my opinion. And same with social media. Um, the other thing that I'm, I'm hoping to get is not necessarily what I'm going to replace these things with. It's just how am I going to feel at the end of a day? Uh, so I don't know if, if you're, if you're someone who has any kind of problem with social media, like you, you check it a little bit too much, you get a little bit too much out of it. I think sometimes you find yourself in a bit of a haze at the end of the day. And I think that's that dopamine trigger getting pressed over and over again. And then all of a sudden, you know, you're, especially if you work from home and you, and you have a spouse who, who goes to work every day, they come home and, and you're, you're kind of spent already because you've gotten, you've gotten all the dopamine your brain can handle for the day. And so really, I just want to, I don't necessarily want to replace this with like more hustle or anything like that, or I'm just going to sit here and read, you know, constantly and study. That's, that's not realistic. I just want to become less dependent on the dopamine rush that everyone is knowingly or unknowingly chasing today. Um, I can't remember where I was reading this or listening to it, but it's, it was about this whole idea that society today is very much, um, confusing happiness with pleasure. Um, they're seen as the same thing. And we get, we get dopamine from those pleasurable things, those little, those little shots of pleasure that we might get on social media, for example, or by watching a good show when really we should be optimizing for serotonin. And those are the things that tell us that we have enough and we feel good with the way things are right now. And so, yeah, I'm really just, I'm really just looking forward to seeing what happens and how I end up spending my time when I'm not chasing these rushes anymore. And I'm just looking for, um, I guess you could say more boredom in my life, um, more space to just think and um, realize that, you know, life is actually quite good. Uh, I think, I think we're all kind of leaving that behind. Your, your perspective is spot on and the way you articulate um, your thoughts around this issue, I think are extremely valuable, especially if, you know, we never, people rarely may make time to, to think about these things. Um, and, you know, I see it in people around me, of course, we all have this close circle of friends that kind of have the same values and they're uh, possibly a bit more aware of these issues than the general, let's say, public. Mm -hmm. um, and the way you talk about these things, I think that would, will help many people Take a look at what they're doing. Take a look at their habits. And um, I, I hope we can maybe find together the source for um, <laughs> for this for this piece of information because I think that it is so important. And I've never actually thought about it that way, but it makes so much sense when you separate these two notions and realize what they're doing with our brains and with our bodies. Um, and mm -hmm. in turn, with our ability to do great work, to, to get that sense of true achievement, um, not a false sense of, um, of, of, well, reward that we get exactly. from that. And, yeah, and sorry, go ahead. No, 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 you go ahead. <laughs> Just going to say, and I think working from home is, is the perfect recipe to get this wrong because 
we have two things working against us. Um, for one, we don't have anybody, we're working on a computer, most of us. And so all of these things that we're talking about are always one click away. Um, and the other thing is that we tend to uh, experience a lot of loneliness working from home, even if you're an introvert. Uh, so you put that together and it's like, uh, at least the false sense of connection is always just one click away. It's always in social media. It's right there. I can, you know, I can comment on something and someone's going to like it and it's going to be better than no interaction at all. At least it's going to feel that way, uh, in the moment. So yeah, it's definitely, I think a lot of other people are, they at least have things in place that stop them from doing that. Maybe they don't work at a computer or they do work at a computer, but they're at a company where someone else could see their screen, for example. And so they don't want to have these things open. But for us, there's really nothing stopping us except um, the will to stop it and the recognition that it's probably not the best thing for us. So it's uh, yeah, it's an interesting challenge that I think a lot of us are are facing, whether we speak about it or not. Yes, that is so, so true. Plus, you know, investing that much of our willpower in this kind of depletes us for from other things that we should be looking out for, like eating, uh, having a healthy diet and eating more fruit and vegetables. And mm -hmm. because we have this finite amount of willpower each day, and if we use it or squander it on unimportant things, we might end up making the wrong decisions it's exactly when we need to make choices that are good for us in the long term. And that's, right. that's, that's a very, I think, very important behavior in our lives that we should pay more attention to because it just helps you maintain and build your health in the long run. And um, speaking in the long run, you mentioned um, the ability that you're trying to create space to um, nurture this, this sense of um, gratitude for what you have right now, but you're also extremely ambitious for what you want to build in the future. How do you balance these? How do you avoid uh, kind of the fear of missing out when building um, on your strategy for the long term? and having this sense of achievement right now so you can enjoy uh, obviously your wins uh in the moment yeah so i definitely struggle with uh uh celebrating wins um so and i and i know this because uh i have a wife who's very good at celebrating the wins and she feels really good when people say she's doing a really good job and she knows when she's done well and she feels it and she celebrates it for whatever reason i've I must be missing that part of my brain, but those types of things are always fleeting for me. So, you know, if I get, um, you know, money in the bank, it feels really good for a second and then it's gone. If a client says, Hey, you know what? Like we've doubled conversions. That feels great for about five seconds. And then it's back to baseline for me. I'm, um, you know, my wife calls me her rock because <laughs> I'm very much, I'm very much steady. I don't, I don't get very upset about things and I don't get extremely happy about things. It takes something really big, uh, to swing me, to swing me either way. So that's definitely something that I do hope to get a little bit better at. And maybe, uh, just maybe if I'm not so, um, hooked on this, on this dopamine rush, the little pleasures, then maybe that will make more space for me to be able to sit back and, uh, you know, get pleasure from things that just don't tip the scale for me anymore because we're just so overexposed to, uh, to the dopamine rush. We'll see if that happens. And then in terms of connecting, you know, sort of the day to day to the long term, really, for me, it's just, it's always measuring back against that North Star and seeing whether I'm doing whether what I, whatever I'm doing today is actually moving me towards that or if I'm getting distracted by, you know, chasing, chasing the money, for example. Um, 
it's it's fairly simple for me. Uh, it's not overly structured. It's just constantly evaluating my current position and what I'm doing and whether or not that's working towards a future that uh, I want to be a part of. Hmm. And do you have any specific mission statement for that? Or have you written this down? Um, what does it or you can just, you know, keep it in your mind and just go back to that place each time you need to? Yeah, so I don't have a mission statement written down. But when I really think about and this could very much change as it has throughout my life. But when I think about, uh, you know, the future type of business that I would want to run, for example. Um, so right now i would say most of the clients that i've worked with are doing great work and they're solving important problems that are important to you know a few people um i would love to be the type of person who is advising and getting behind and helping uh companies who are tackling some of the biggest challenges that the world is facing today um and and helping them get those to market in in such a way that resonates with customers and changes behavior in a very important way and so i'm not there yet. Um, most of my clients are, don't fall into that, into that bucket. So I've worked with some awesome companies, but if they were to disappear, um, you know, climate change would stay the same, healthcare would stay the same, um, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, nothing would be worse in, in a super important way. And so that's when I think about the future, that's where I'd want to be. So the, the types of companies that I'm reading about in like MIT uh, technology review and the economist, uh, these companies that are that are looking to change healthcare and climate change and cybersecurity even it actually falls into that because that's a huge threat. Um, just if I if I can be one of the voices, one of the uh, the guiding lights in those in those industries that helps people resonate with these companies and actually want to change their behavior so that they can use them, that would be that would be uh, very fulfilling for me. But I didn't start there because. I think that's too grand of a vision to start with, and you're far uh, more likely to get lost in the shuffle and and go out of business before you're actually able to make an impact. So I'm I'm building towards it. These baby steps. Uh, it's clear that you have this this pace, this self set pace that really works for you and. Your consistency is very obvious in your work and the way you communicate and the way even in how you, you know, how you told me about all these experiments that you run from time to time with your life to try to improve it. So mm -hmm. I think consistency is one of those key habits, those key, let's say, abilities, I would say, that um, differentiates, that, that really helps people thrive because there are with today's attention span and everything that's going on that we talked about, consistency and follow through are something that are becoming increasingly rare. So they're bound; it's bound to become a competitive advantage in the future, not just on a financial level, but simply just for living a more rewarding life. Um, because this this ability to follow through is something that I I think may have been lost in the process of fragmenting everything from communication yes. to platforms to audiences. Have you experienced or observed something similar? Uh, yeah, definitely. I mean, if you read enough biographies, you'll you'll often find that people who have done amazing things, they didn't know they were going to do these amazing things when they were 20 or even 30 or 40. They just kept piling on small wins. They just stayed curious, kept moving forward, kept taking opportunities whenever they could, whenever they arose and did the best that they could with them. And then all of a sudden they found themselves in a, in a rare position to do great things. And, uh, I think that goes back to sort of what we were saying before. Um, 
where if you're if you're consistently learning in your teenage years and in your early 20s, you're part of a large group. There's plenty of people who are curious and learning at that age. But then when you start getting into your, into your 30s and your 40s and 50s, you will realize that most people have given up. And at that point in their life, they're, they're just taking whatever comes next to them, whatever's easy, whatever's presented to them, and they're not trying to make anything happen anymore. And so... Um, yeah, just to stay in the course, just staying curious, continuing to improve yourself um, and and sort of uh, like like I said, make some space for that for that boredom, for that thinking and not just consumption. Once you start doing that and you do that over five, 10, 20 years, it's like compound interest with money. Uh, you'll find yourself so far ahead of everybody else, despite not doing anything absolutely incredible from one day to the next, but just by doing little things for longer than everybody else, which is, like I said, just like compound interest. You don't have to deposit a million dollars in your bank account. You can deposit a few hundred every month. And all of a sudden, when you're 50, you're in a far better place than the person who stopped um, saving when they were in their 20s, which is how you could explain most people in their accumulation of knowledge. Mm. And I think that that's so obvious in sports as well. It's the same stories. Uh, it's the same kind of pattern of accumulating this experience and using these tiny steps to keep improving consistently. Um, super valuable life lesson here. And I can't wait, you know, to see where, where you go next and what you do next. And I wanted to ask, uh, as a last kind of, to, to round this up, I was very curious, what are your energy sources? Kind of where do you get your, um, your, your inspiration and a boost when you need it? Um, if there are people or books or, I don't know, something that you listen to particularly, I'd love to, to kind of tap into your resource as well. So we can, me and the, the rest of the people who will listen, kind of um, join you in, in learning from them. Yeah, for sure. So um, definitely reading books, learning new things. Um, you know, I've been doing math on uh, like Khan Academy for a little while now. Uh, it, math is something that I used to love and then I started to hate it uh, when I was in junior high and high school. And I think it's because a lot of the meaning behind the math got stripped away. And so now I actually found it quite interesting to go all the way back and it was mind numbing, but I went all the way back to kindergarten math and I've been working my way through all of the grades and actually taking the time to understand um, with some hindsight now, you know, why things, why things matter when before they were just so abstract. And so that's, that's been fun. So learning new things, uh, studying, not necessarily knowing exactly how it's going to contribute to my life, but just because it's something I'm curious about, I get a lot of energy from that. Um, definitely uh, being happily married, spending time with my wife and doing things like scuba diving together. I get a ton of energy from that, even just thinking about it. Um, and then I'm really happy that you asked this question because there's one thing in our circles in, you know, entrepreneurship that really bothers me. And it's this whole idea that, uh, you've got to surround yourself with people who are where you want to be or who are going where you want to be. And I think that is just a load of crap. I don't think that's a great way to choose friends. Um, so one of the other places that I get a lot of, uh, energy from is, uh, you know, weekly, bi-weekly, uh, card nights with, with three other guys that I've been friends with since I was in kindergarten, basically. Um, and so I have nothing to gain from them career wise. We're all very different. One drives a forklift, one's a bookkeeper for a hotel chain and another one owns a small, uh, telecommunications business. Um, but what we do share is uh, a long history together we can we can talk about uh, from kindergarten to now and all the years in between. 
Um, and I, I think that's not spoken about enough in our circles right now. It's always about like, Hey, you want to be an entrepreneur, then have a whole bunch of entrepreneur friends and, and forget about all these people who aren't trying to achieve what you're trying to achieve. Um, I, yeah, I pull energy from those old, those, uh, I guess now you could call them like old school friendships. Just, we have a lot of things in common. We have a long history together and I could imagine myself playing cards with these guys and laughing for, you know, the next 60 years if, if I'm lucky enough to live that long. And so that would be the other place where I, where I get a lot of my energy. Such a beautiful statement about the power of relationships, of truly relationships. And especially, I think it's a privilege to have friends that if friendships that go that far back. There are very, very few people that I know that have those kinds of relationships. And that takes, I think that it really shows, you know, the qualities in a person because to keep uh, to nurture that kind of relationship and to take the time to see each other grow through different stages as you're becoming basically a, a person, a full rounded person uh, mm-hmm. from as as opposed to when you were a kid and you were just figuring things out and just having right. someone to figure things out with even now, um, I think is is an incredible, incredible um, just thing to have an experience to have in your life. Um, and yes, I'm really grateful for my friends as well. We have this accountability meeting each month that we've started experimenting with um, at the beginning of the year. And it's made such a difference for us. I mean, we got together and talked about things, but now we just do it in a bit more structured way once a month. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and it's helped tremendously because you just and and having especially having people from different industries and with different roles that are not uh, only marketing related or in the same field. I think that that's such an important thing to have in your life. It gives you perspective. It gives you a view of the outside world because sometimes we just tend to go too deep into our own thing and forget about, you know, everyone else that's out there. Um, And yeah, thank you for reminding me and the rest of the people who will listen to this episode of the tremendous importance of having these kind of relationships uh, in our lives. Yeah, I'm glad you gave me an opportunity to uh, to squeeze that in because I, it's something that I read about over and over again, and it always it always bothers me. But yeah, it, it takes effort to uh, keep those types of relationship those relationships up, and there's you don't have that transactional payoff that a lot of people are looking for in their relationships. Uh, they're not going to help me close a client or anything like that. It's it's uh, going back to before we all thought that way. For sure. I think we need more things in our lives that we do for no reason, <laughs> I guess, with no stakes, uh, just because we enjoy doing them, just because they make us happy in one way or another, but not in a transactional way, like you mentioned it. Um, mm-hmm. I guess we're, we may be starting to sound a bit old school, but I think that it's just good for our mental health. And uh, especially if you're a super organized and driven person, that's, that's difficult to do. <laughs> Definitely. Yep. But not impossible. So thank you, Josh, so much for this episode. I've learned so much from you and you've made me think about so many important things in our lives. And I think there are some very practical takeaways from everything that you've told us from your experience, from focus to clarity to um, these running these sort of experiments um, in your life just to improve your overall, overall quality of life and performance and so on and so forth. And being mindful of these tiny steps that we make that influence our lives so fundamentally a lot more than any big decision or huge thing that happens in our lives that happens 
only, you know, rarely, um, mm-hmm. as opposed to everything that we do each day that kind of summed up that is the biggest part of our lives. <laughs> so I agree. Yeah, it was really a pleasure having you on. Um, and I can wait to see what you're going to do next. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, I had I had a lot of fun. I was uh, I was really anticipating this one. And uh, you definitely over delivered. You're you're a very good interviewer. Oh, thank you so much. You're very, very kind. Thanks again, Josh. Thank you. Thank you for listening. I hope you've enjoyed the episode. You can find links to all the resources we mentioned in the show notes. If you have feedback, please share it in a review on iTunes or any other podcast app you're using. I want to understand how to make the show better and more useful for everyone involved. You can always reach me on my blog or on Twitter. You can also subscribe to the weekly email I send. It comes packed with great resources focused on, what else, decision-making. Don't be a stranger and thanks again for listening.